Hello, everybody. This is Kim Scott. And Ernest Adams. Hi, Kim. Hey, Ernest. How are you? You know, today is a is a challenging day. It's it's February 1st. It was um, the funeral. I, I watched the funeral today for Tyree. Um, and that was incredibly, it brought up a lot of emotions for me. Um, yeah. This, I think this last week has really brought up a lot of emotions uh, for me and hopefully everyone living in this country and, yeah. and, 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 and everyone who is a human. Um, and then I'm conflicted with the beginning of Black History Month because I'm always, I cringe at the beginning of Black History Month because I don't like seeing the commercialization yeah. on LinkedIn where every company comes out with their obligatory statement. Yeah. Um, like I'm only Black in February. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. And yeah. so I, I had those two things that were really at odds today. So I'm, I'm in a I'm in a pretty vulnerable and raw place um, yeah, as I think no, about I, today. I feel you, Ernest. I, I, as you know, I grew up in Memphis. And yes. so, so I have been, I spent a lot of time looking at his photographs of Memphis, yes. of a lot of yes. places that I, uh, that I love. And yes. um, I just, it is, it is so hard to understand why police forces haven't gotten this under control, haven't managed to figure out how to prevent this from continually happening. I just. Well, um, it just speaks how systemic it is. Right. And and I think, yeah. you know, the fact that this was five black police officers um, is, you know, honestly, when it happened, we didn't know the race of the police officers at that time. And then a couple of days later, yeah. when it came out that it was five black police officers, I was flabbergasted and in shock because yeah. my immediate assumption was that it was white police officers, yeah, which no, I had me, to, me too. Right. Which I had to check my bias at that point to really think yeah. about that. But then when I, when I found out it was black police officers, I then began to say what happened to those five black men yeah. that they could do what they did to another black man. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. that brought up a lot of emotions and fear and anger and recognition of the, the system of justice and how broken it really is. But, but also it makes you really think about how programmed, how people are programmed. Yeah. Yeah. And how systems impact yes. how people act. Yes. You know, it's, yes. it's interesting. I was, I was in Memphis uh, shortly after the murder of George Floyd. And I remember saying, I was taking a walk with my brother and saying, you know, I bet this wouldn't happen in Memphis because it's a majority black city black. and the police police. There's better representation, I assume, uh, although I don't actually know the numbers on the police force. Yes. And uh, and clearly that was wrong. Uh, right. Yeah. Right. It, um, and, you know, there's there's did you read the book Corruptible? I didn't. It's a really interesting book. And at the beginning or at one point in the book. He de the author describes the difference between the way that p police forces in the U.S. tend to recruit mm. and and who they're trying to recruit and the recruiting videos often look like clips from Rambo, frankly. Right. And right. the and then he compares that to the way that the police force in New Zealand recruits, mm -hmm. and uh, where where it's like it's a totally different deal. <laughs> Yes, and, yes. and you got to think that that, you know, that that's part of what's going on. And then he also talks a lot about sort of the way that the military gives 
excess military equipment to to police. And that can't help. That can't help. No, absolutely not. All feeds into the system. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I just, you know, for all of our listeners, everyone that's hearing, I I hope that you're taking care of your mental health um, as we watch these horrific videos um, that have been released. You know, I've been really reading a lot around kind of the trauma on black people watching videos like this and the PTSD that a black person goes through after having watched that. And so it just really begs the question of ensuring that you have people around you that you can talk about these things with, you have support systems that you cry when you need to cry, you scream when you need to scream, um, and recognize that this does not affect our, our individual self-worth. Um, yeah. but as a collective, we have to do better and we have to love each other better and we have to support each other better. So, yeah. And I would say to the, to, to to the the people listening who are not black uh, or who are white like me to to make sure that you are that you are doing what you need to do to become part of the solution here mm-hmm. um, like a simple thing a bunch of neighborhood watch signs yeah. appeared in my neighborhood and I have been fighting fighting the because it's they're just racist I mean is right. is what it appears to me. And yes. I, you know, I, like even even that's very different thing from from this kind of police violence that we're talking about. But I think it's really important to make sure that you're doing what you can do to remind people that we got to yeah. change this. Yeah, absolutely. Well, pr- appreciate the time to just kind of um, recognize where we're both at today as we yeah. you know continue on a journey of conversation around um, radical respect. And I think that's that's what we need is radical respect. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. So, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Um, well, so should I read? So one of the things I was, I, I've been editing and editing, I've been deleting, actually, I'm no longer writing, I'm in deleting phase. And I was, uh, I was rereading the section on what leaders can do about prejudice. I feel pretty mm-hmm. good about the section on what leaders can do about bias and what leaders can do about bullying. But the section on prejudice I need some help. So I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to read maybe just a couple of paragraphs and then get your words of wisdom. Is that all right? Great. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So here you go. Prejudice, how leaders can prevent it from destroying respect. Leaders can't control what people believe. Trying to be the thought police is a giant overstep. People are free to believe whatever they want, but they are not free to do or say whatever they want, at least not at work. Freedom is not chaos or a free-for-all or a right to be cruel. Oliver Wendell Holmes Jr. said of freedom that your right to swing your arms ends just where the other man's sick nose begins. More or less, the same thing can be said of prejudices. You can believe whatever you want, but you cannot impose those beliefs on others. It's a leader's job to make it clear to everyone where that line between your beliefs and your efforts to impose them on others lies. When leaders teach their teams to hold up a mirror to bias, usually the result is self-correction. But in the case of prejudice, if you hold up a mirror, the person is likely to say, yeah, that's me. Aren't I good looking? Pointing out a prejudice probably isn't going to change it. What then can leaders do to prevent prejudice from hurting collaboration and respect on their teams? Here are two ideas. Implementing them won't fix everything, but it will take you a long way in the right direction. One, make a rule book for respect. Two, 
make the consequences for violating the rules clear and then invest in the investigation process fair. All right. So Ernest, help me out here. Cause this is a tough one. It's a really tough one. And I have been the proponent of telling companies and leaders all the time that, you know, we, <laughs> we don't want people to bring their full selves to work many times. Yeah. Right? Particularly yeah. if their full self is a racist, bigoted, prejudiced person. Yeah. Right. You can yeah. leave that part of you at home, yeah. but bring the part that does your job well to work. Um, now, having said that, I also understand that there are parts of this country and parts of this world where the talent pool is largely made up of prejudiced people. Mm-hmm. And therefore, in order to fill seats, fill jobs, we're going to have some of these people inside of our organizations. And so as a leader, how do you think about bringing people with diverse points of view together to be able to talk about these things to really optimize the working environment? Um, I do think, Kim, that it's there's some things that leaders should stay away from. Yes, I, yeah, there we a hundred percent agree. And also, I want to say diverse points of view is different from prejudices. Like a prejudice, it is it is a belief. It's a belief that a stereotype is true. Mm-hmm. And and I actually, in fact, in an earlier version of this book, I called it belief, not prejudice. Yes. Yes. And then I got away from that because it's like not all beliefs are bad. Obviously, that's true. That's true. Uh, and and so some beliefs are. I mean, I would say that a, a prejudiced belief is an is an incorrect belief. Actually, yes, yes, um, it's wrong. Uh, yes, both sort of in terms of logic and in terms of morality. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> and but do, you know, how do you deal with those? wrong beliefs those those specific yeah. beliefs yeah although i will say kim i found that there's times where people are prejudiced prejudice <laughs> without prejudice. yeah prejudice without having a belief behind it so say more about that like what are you thinking so i have had conversations with people who started by saying i don't like black people and wow. as i began to probe and ask questions and get into that conversation they don't like black people because that is what they were taught. Yeah. Not to like yeah. black people. They yeah. didn't have a belief that black people were bad or that mm-hmm. black people, they just were taught, I just don't like black people. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah. right. And that, and that I, I found is, was really unfounded. And as you began to talk and as you began to explain experiences, yeah. you then going back to when we talked about being programmed just a few minutes ago, that is how they were programmed without truly developing a belief system around that. Yeah. Yeah. So, so they'll say things that are prejudiced that they don't really believe if you make them stop to think. To think. So it's almost like a bias. I mean, it's a stated bias. It's, it's, it's somewhere between, it's on the bias side of bias and prejudice. It is. But here's the thing, Kim, if, if we, if we were to automatically say that we are going to remove people who have prejudice points of view, Mm-hmm. We would never get to the point of having the discussion to understand that those people are really just a little bit more biased. They're more, their yeah. belief is more biased yeah. than it is prejudice, right? Yeah. And that, yeah. that for me, is th- that's this work. That is the yeah. work of really us beginning to help people see the light and understand there's a, a shared humanity that we have that is the underlying belief. 
Yeah. And there's this yeah. bias that sits on top of it. Yeah. So the, so I agree. We don't want to exclude everyone who has a prejudice from the workplace. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Totally agree. In part because it gives us an opportunity to confront and challenge and question that prejudice yes. and maybe to change that belief. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. That, but, but also, also sort of, because I think that it is an overstep of leaders to say, I get to control what people believe. Um, that I agree. So, so there's that. Having said that, like, let, so let's take some, maybe the, one of the things I recommend in the book is take some specific examples. Yes. Um, and say where, you know, where would you as a leader draw the line? And then how would you articulate that in a rule book for respect or rules of engagement or code mm-hmm. of conduct or however you want to call it? Yes. So, so for example, if, if I were in charge of a company, if I were yes. the CEO of a company, I would say that it is okay to wear, it's in fact encouraged to wear things like Black Lives Matter Mm t-shirts, but it is not okay to wear a t-shirt with a Confederate flag on it. Uh, Because Black Lives Matter to me is a human rights movement and the Confederate flag is sort of valorizing you know, the, the slavery, which was, which, which violated human rights. But I don't know. What do you think? I think it's a slippery slope, Kim. I think, for the record, I agree. My rational brain agrees with everything you just said. Uh huh. How, however, what I would say is um, that was put through your filter. Yeah. Of of thinking about. Um, a Confederate flag in a very specific point of view. Yes. Where some people could say a Black Lives Matter t-shirt. I hear Black Lives Matter. Look, I, you know, please, for any listener, please do not think that I am defending people like the governor of Florida <laughs> for his rejection <laughs> right. of critical race theory or, right. or anything like that. Right. Because I think it is absolutely asinine. However, I do believe that we have to understand the points of view by which people are coming from. In yeah. order to really get into a deep debate and conversation around it, right? So, so if people are viewing Black Lives Matter through the lens of exactly what you said about the Confederate flag, yeah, someone is viewing Black Lives Matter to to think about it as a very violent or aggressive movement. Mm-hmm. Then, and they're but not looking but, at it. But factually, it was not a violent movement. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> protests in response to violence. hundred like, percent. Uh, yes. Like, yes. Like, like I have, I have no trouble having that conversation. Um, yes. Yes. But Kim, how do you then enter into a? Con- I mean, this this is where I get caught up in this in this section, right? Because yeah. as a practitioner of of diversity, equity, inclusion, as a practitioner mm-hmm. of the work, mm-hmm. I very much hold through hold to a point of view that. I want to enter into as many conversations as I can with people. Yeah. I, in fact, want to understand their core belief systems. I, in fact, want to facilitate conversation and dialogue that allows each other to understand their basic humanity, their core humanity. Yeah. And if I immediately began to say to people, well, because you wore that, I'm putting you in this box over here. Well, you could say you cannot wear it again. You don't have to fire them for the first offense because it's going to be yes. something new in 
in a year. Uh, yeah. Some new t-shirts will, will be printed up. No, yeah. I, mean, I told you, I, I told you I had this instance, Kim, where I had, I mean, this exact same thing, right? I think in a couple, couple podcasts ago where I, we had, we had a factory uh, in right outside of Tampa Mm-hmm. And we had, it was June and it was gay pride month, but it was also, it was in the middle of a presidential campaign. And so we had someone yeah. wear a gay pride t-shirt and we had someone wear a MAGA hat. A yeah. America and I had no hat. trouble saying one's okay and the other's not. I have <laughs> right. no and we, trouble. We as an organization did as well. I had to really step back though and say, okay, look, I, I get it. Right. And we, that mm-hmm. was a little bit more finite because we could say political, yeah. non-political, the employee, in fact, argued with us though and said, "No, I look at that gay flag, that gay pride flag, as political." Yeah, yeah. So the but fact again, that you allow yeah. it has nothing to do with the presidential election. Like, like we can have that conversation. Like that's we, a you know, and, yeah. and I think you're. I mean, the thing is this: like, as when I when I am engaged in DEI work, when yes. you are engaged in DEI work, it's kind of our job to have those conversations. Absolutely, absolutely. But. But if someone is, let's say, a customer service rep at a company and they just want to go in and get their job done and go home, it is not mm-hmm. their job. And so I think what, what you want to do as a DEI professional is create an environment where someone can go to work without being without having other people's prejudiced beliefs imposed upon them. Um and so if yes. somebody like wore a t-shirt that said something, I'm trying to think like about religion, you know? Um, yeah, this the, is the only, where... yeah, the Go only ahead. challenge I would make for you, Kim, though, is that it, it is, isn't it every leader's job to be a DEI practitioner? Yes, but it's also a job to, it's also a leader's job, every leader's job. But what about yes. the person who's not a leader? What about the employee? The employee who wants, who wants to go to work and right. and not have the person sitting next to them wearing a hat that says all lives matter right um right. you know like that and that feels to me like like anytime someone is doing something that is creating a hostile work environment they are imposing prejudiced beliefs on others mm-hmm. and they should they it should be in the rights of the leaders to say stop it or get fired you know? Yes. 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 I think. Yes. I don't know though. I, I agree with you. This is, this is the work this, like, this is the conversation because there are people and I've encountered them and I, I will continue to encounter them who will say to me, but Ernest, <laughs> looking at a black lives matter t-shirt does create a hostile environment for me because my belief is not that black lives matter. My belief is that all lives matter. And so that creates a hostile environment for me, which again, that is not my belief. But these are conversations that I enter into, and so it becomes a very yeah. slippery slope, right? Yeah. I think, though, the difference is, and this is why in the last part of the book, I talk about kind of the dynamics. There's a big difference between being white and being black in this country. Like, I have a no white doubt. son, and I am never afraid that when he starts to drive, he'll be stopped yes. by a cop and killed. Of course. I'm just, it's not, not one of the things that I am afraid of. And of that matters. Like that mm-hmm. really matters. And so what yeah. creates, you know, there's a big difference between feeling uncomfortable at disagreement yes. and, and being afraid of violence. Yes. You know, being legitimately afraid of violence. I agree with that. I agree with that. I guess where I'm going with this, Kim, ultimately is to say, how do we, because there is so much DEI fatigue 
yeah. particularly in America. Yeah. Because the work for the last de- several decades has been rooted in fear or has been rooted in, if you do this, you are now out. Yeah. And we have parts of the population, you know, largely cisgender, heterosexual white men who have now said, I don't want to talk about this anymore because I've been made to feel like my points of view don't matter and I'm wrong. And so how do we get back to a place where we create an environment where they, where all are comfortable at the table expressing how I feel so that we can actually not cause the brain to go into fight or flight mode. Yeah. But instead cause the brain to be able to relax and our nervous systems to relax so we can actually discuss and have conversations around humanity. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think part of that is having some rules of engagement and knowing like maybe, maybe you disagree with the rules, but, but make the rules clear. Like, what, yeah. what what you can and cannot do or say what you can and this is not like an endless like in the yeah. end my rule book for respect was five lines you know yes at, yes yes it, it, but it needs to give us some guidelines and i don't know how i really i sound like i'm arguing with you i don't know how no to you don't at all this. no no you don't, I don't know. I, I, but i mean you talk about this in your next paragraph and i would say when you talk about writing a rule book for respect it's less to me about the actual five rules that you end up with. And it's more about yeah. the conversations that are facilitated to get to those rules. Yes. Right. Yeah. And knowing going into it that as a leader, when I began to set out to develop a rule book for respect, I'm going to have people with opposing views. And yeah. that is part of the process to get to a place where we can ultimately, because if I were to just come and say, here's our rules of respect, I don't care how you think about this. Your point of view doesn't matter to me. This is written solely off of my my bias and my belief system. Yeah. I think that's a problem. I agree. I agree. It's gotta be, it's gotta be a conversation. Uh, yes. That that and, and it's I think very often where where companies get this wrong and where leaders get this wrong is a refusal to have these hard conversations. I mean, that, base camp is the class. That's, ex- that's exactly what I'm saying. Oh, yes. Classic yes. example. Like we we won't talk about this. We're yes. not going to talk about politics at work. That means like, Courage. yeah. That, that, that basically <laughs> means like in the game of of musical chairs. You know, yeah. if you don't have a chair, you're screwed forever. You know, because right. we're not going to talk right. about it anymore. That's right. And, that's right. Uh, and that's no good. No, I mean, I think you you have to have the conversations, and so you get into this point of saying, in order to get to the rules. You got to get people. Yeah, you got to have some really tough conversations along the way, and 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 you got to be able to. So that's where I say to a leader, be ready to lean in and understand. There's points. Watch the room. Watch how people are feeling. Be be able to intervene when when the conversation starts to go awry, Mm -hmm. right? And bring it back to the point of the a point of what's happening in the room, but create space to open people up to begin to say, "This is how I feel about this, and this is why I feel about it." Yeah. The way I feel yeah. about it. Yeah, you're right. Silencing people is no is not gonna work. There's um, no bueno. People, no bueno. That it just doesn't work. I mean it's it bad. doesn't work at all. It's bad and it's ineffective. It's brutally right. ineffective. That's right. That's right. Um, That's right. At the same time, gosh, there's some people I would like to silence. <laughs> I just- <laughs> <laughs> no, I absolutely I, I completely agree with you. And I think, you know, this is hard. Yes. But this is leadership. Yes. Right? Yes. Leadership is not about people are not going to respect you simply because you have the title. People respect yeah. you because you have really created space for them to talk 
and to bring their points of view to the table. And ultimately, we're going to walk away agreeing to disagree, maybe. Yeah, yeah, but mm-hmm. but at least we know where the you know where where the guideline where the guardrails are. Yeah, uh, yeah. and if and and again, this is a this is a privileged point of view. But if I don't like the guardrails. I go work somewhere else. Now that's not that's always possible for for everyone. But I would I mean, I think it's better to know where yes. they are than not to know. Invisible Look, guardrails are the worst. <laughs> Invisible guardrails are the worst. It's also good to know. I mean, I say this all the time and and a lot of my black friends we get into very heated debates over this. That when, you know, the last decade that we've had where People have become more emboldened to, to give their points of view about being racist. I would much rather know where the racists are. Yes. So I know where not to go. Yeah. <laughs> Versus yeah. not knowing where they are and, and having a false sense of safety and a false security yeah. that this whole country has opened up for me. Yeah. You know, it's really interesting. You're bringing back for me uh, at, at one point when I was working at Google uh, and I was managing Blogger. We mm-hmm. got into a heated argument about mm-hmm. some policies, about what mm-hmm. was going to be acceptable to say or not say on Blogger. And I, as you can probably tell from this conversation, was in favor of having some pretty <laughs> some pretty strict rules that other people thought were like a violation of free speech. I'm like, this is not free speech. Like, this is mm-hmm. not a government, this is not a public square. This is a privately owned thing. And we can yeah. say or not, you know, it's like if we were going to, if we owned a dance hall, would yeah. we allow the KKK to come rent it out? No, we would not. Like, why yeah. are we allowing those voices here? Yeah. Um, and I got into a big argument uh, with with another executive who, really made the point you made, you know, the Mm -hmm. whole point of free speech is that you're better off knowing than not knowing. And that's true. And at the same time, two things can be true at the same time. Absolutely. That (laughs) if you platform this stuff, you, you create, you you know, you empower it and enable it and encourage it. And, and we don't want to do that either. No, no, not at all. Because, because I'm, I'm going. I, I agree, Kim, and I'm going back in my mind to the conversation we had in the last, the last episode of the podcast, which was around when does an upstander go too far? Yeah, right. And 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 so, if rules are made without regard to how people, without the conversation, yeah. I think that sometimes goes too far because ultimately, then people are going to be resentful of that. Yes. And that resentfulness may be taken out on that underrepresented population. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really important point. Really important point. Right. Uh, and I think, you know, if we go back to what leaders can do, a part of the reason to try to make the make it clear where the guardrails are and to be honest and open about them, even if that means having some really seriously hard conversations, you make it safer for upstanders to be absolutely because it can be fair. If if there are invisible guardrails, an upstander can do something that they think is like in within the bounds of the culture and, and then wind up getting fired for it. And that is not fair to upstanders. Absolutely. Everybody has to know what rule, what, what, what game they're playing, right? Well, how, how, yeah. <laughs> what are, what are the rules to this thing that we're, that we're all encompassing? So I, I think ultimately you and I are on the same page. I believe that a rule book for respect is important. How we how get to, to that rule book. How to write it. Gosh. <laughs> I am yes. really, I'm struggling. I'm struggling yeah. with it. 
but yeah. I will continue to struggle. Well, I think this is this is this is the part of being a contemporary 21st century leader, right? It is yeah. no longer can you just say it's my way or the highway. Yeah. Now you have to really make room for everyone's point of view and voices to be heard along the way to get to the ultimate point where you're getting the best out of people. Yeah. Did you read the book Rising Out of Hatred? It's a book no. about it's a book about um I think David David Black was his name. Okay. Was a, he was a white nationalist and oh. he's the he was the godson of David Duke or something. I okay. Know. I don't, I'm going to get my facts wrong, but but you get the idea. I get the and idea. He went, he went off to college and mm. his beliefs were challenged and there was um there was uh when when people found out who he was at at this university, he was he you know he was kind of excluded from everything. And one guy invited him to Shabbat dinner, yes. uh, an Orthodox Jewish guy. And he said, "My job is not to move." A rabbi had told him, "Your job is not to move the boulder. Your job mm-hmm. is to push against the boulder. Like mm-hmm. your job is not to change his belief, but that's to exactly right. Present other points of view. Yes, and it's and and it's a beautiful. It's like an incredible story, uh, and, and and that's that's the work. But like, not everybody's willing to do that work, and not everyone at work should have to do that much work. Should have to push against the boulder. I think. I don't know though. Maybe I'm wrong. I, I don't know. I mean, I would say at work, if we think about the patriarchal systems of oppression and power that have been, that corporate America is built on, mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> that every every leader has to do this work. This yeah. this is the work to undo that system to undo yeah. that system, right? And yeah. and and that is having these conversations, and that is leaning into these intense moments. And I completely agree with you. I mean, Kim, I can't tell you how many people who still to this day, when I walk into the room and I walk into a room of all white men on a board, you know, in a boardroom mm-hmm. and the looks that I get and the the processing that I have to process through when yeah. I see dislike, when I see fear, when I see disgust. Um, uh, but that is not a moment that I step away. That's a moment where I lean in yeah. and I, and because I feel a responsibility because I have the privilege of being in that room. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, no, it, it is. It's the privilege of leadership. Yeah. And the burden. I'm sorry. And the burden. It's awful. It's awful. Uh, it is awful. And, and it it's, is. It's, I, I mean, yeah. I, like who would have, I, I just can't imagine who would not be delighted to see you walking in the room. So I'm really with, sorry. With, Those people have some kind of problem. Oh yeah. It's, but, but I mean, I, I appreciate that Kim, but I will tell you it is more often than I want it to be. Yeah. And it is, it is sickening because the number of times I walk into those rooms or be, or, I mean, even more so do I walk in those rooms and I'm the only gay person. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And yeah. I refuse to not, I, I, I make sure people and I talk about my husband very openly, very quickly when I'm in yeah. rooms like that, because yeah. I want people to know I'm gay. Right. I can hide, I could hide the fact that I'm gay, but I'm not yeah, going but- to. Yeah, good for you. you know, good for I'm you. Not going to, you're, and I, yeah, you're an upstander for your community. Exactly, absolutely right. And so, and for yourself, you know, and for myself, and for my family, and for yes, absolutely for all those things. So, I, it is. This is the work. This is the work. And so, I think writing this chapter, of course, is going to be hard. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, <laughs> you yeah. know, maybe, maybe, maybe you start by saying this is the work. You know, this yeah. this chapter this is the work. I don't have the answer here, but here's no. here's some things for you to think about. That's and exactly maybe you right. even maybe maybe one suggestion for leaders is to to sit down with their teams and have conversations where things have gone totally off the rails at other places. Yes. And what would we do? Like if we were if what happened at base camp happened at our company, what would we do? If yeah. if two people walked in with this t-shirt and that t-shirt, what would we do? Mm-hmm. And how would we how would we handle it and why? And what, you know, can we can we s- sort of pull some principles out of maybe it's I've always forget which is inductive and which is deductive. Oh yeah. But maybe it's, it's like from the details up to the <laughs> and rather than from the principles down to the details. Well, and the other thing I would say to you is, is the higher you go in an organization, Kim, you know this as well, the higher you go, the farther you get away from the real culture of the company. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're right? the last to know what's you, really You're the right. last to know, right? And so if you're establishing a rule book for your direct work team, I would actually mm-hmm. say maybe before you do that, you go talk to some folks deeper in the organization. Yeah. To understand what's happening because maybe your rule book needs to be written on the actual culture. Yeah. And not the perceived culture of this of this leadership yeah. team. Not what you imagine. It's that's like, exactly what right. It's really like because very often as a leader, you're like, you know, when I become when I'm in charge, yes. none of this bad shit will happen. And of course, just because you're in charge doesn't mean human nature underneath you has changed. <laughs> bit, you know? It just means people are hiding from you. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> very exactly. much so. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Ernest, as always, you help me think more clearly about this. Thank you so much. No, this was a good conversation. I I, uh, I appreciate you being open to challenge here. I appreciate you being open to thinking about this. Um, and as you write this chapter, I'm excited to to continue to talk to you and see how how w- w- what comes out on the other side of it. Yeah, I'm going to sit down tonight and do a rewrite and send it to you. So get ready. <laughs> okay, great. All right. Can't wait. Can't wait. All right. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for... Well, so thanks Parting thoughts on Black History. How do you feel about Black History Month? Look, you know, I sent a I sent a text to my my family this morning for our listeners. I'm the youngest of seven kids, and so uh, and wow. my mom is 86 and still alive and still with us. So we're very blessed. So the eight of us have a have a group text, and so I sent a, mm-hmm. a text to them this morning that, that started out by saying I have a I have a I have a love hate relationship with Black History Month. Mm-hmm. Um, but I acknowledge Black History Month because of the people who fought for us to have yeah. this month. Yeah, and the respect for uh, the recognition that there is a need to discuss Black history in a more open setting in the country. Yeah. My hate comes from how <laughs> people slap their logos on it or people come and talk to me about Black History Month and then don't say anything else to me about being Black any other time of year. Yeah. And, yeah, and, and it feels I, like a Hallmark holiday, almost like absolutely. Valentine's Day or something. Yeah, I, th- I think in the world that we live in now has been very commercialized, um, and that was not the original intent. But so I, you know, every chance I get to talk about it, yes, it is Black History Month. Yes, I'm incredibly proud of that. And I'm incredibly proud of my ancestors who who, who fought and gave their lives in, in instances for us to have this month to be able to celebrate it. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and for that, I'm incredibly grateful. So. Yeah, yeah, that. Um, well, I am grateful to your ancestors as well. It's important. Yes. It's important it's to important. talk it about important. it. And it's important to push, you know, it's just like uh, when you feel like on Mother's Day or Father's Day or Valentine's Day, like, oh, 
I have to get the card, but like, do I really want to have this person who I love feel like I'm neglecting them? You know, yes, so it's exactly. important. It's important to uh, to do the right thing. And, and yeah, yeah. You know, it's challenging because I woke up to an article about the AP, the the, the AP course of African American history, that they have now decided to remove a lot of the critical race theory and a lot of the authors. Oh, gosh. And, Are you and kidding? A lot of the no, they 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 redid they rewrote the course and stripped it down in a significant way. And I was just like, wow, what a disservice. Wait, who did this? You know, the AP course. So the, 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 oh, co- really? the high school and, course. Yeah. So oh I forgot the gosh. Yeah. So it's, it is, it's very, very challenging. Like that's the first article I see this morning as I, <laughs> as I oh. log on and I was like, wow, happy black history month. We're going to strip, strip down horrible. black history to the point that it makes white people feel comfortable. And we're not going to talk about. Yeah. We've got <laughs> to learn to feel uncomfortable. I mean, because yes. you know what? It is like, it's awful. Yeah. Uh, you know, the history is an awful, awful history. It is. Um, it is like, why, why does me, why, 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 because why me celebrating my history, mm-hmm. why does that demoralize you or yeah. make your existence any less than? It, yeah. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. ridiculous. Um, so. All right. Well, let's go change it, Ernest. Absolutely. Onward all we right. go. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Kevin. All right. Take care. Be well.